Welcome to Huddle Home Office. I'm Mark Legere. Joel Muse suffered from anxiety as a little boy growing up in a small village outside Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. He hated to go to bed because of the thoughts that kept him lying awake at night. His anxiety went untreated for years until he finally asked for help in grade 12. He felt much better during his university years in Halifax, but then fell back into a state of anxiety working as a financial analyst in the years after he graduated. Joel eventually made a lasting breakthrough in therapy and ultimately left his job to pursue something more aligned with his values and passions, which turned out to be a company he co-founded with Dr. Elisa Penser, a registered psychologist and instructor at Dalhousie University. Tranquility is an online platform that helps people manage anxiety and depression. The company delivers its programming through an app or computer, and clients are matched with a coach who supports them by text, phone, or video call. I recently had a chat with Joel, who is at his office at Volta, an innovation center in downtown Halifax. We talked about his own personal journey and the growth and development of his company. Here's my chat with Joel. All right, well, morning, Joel. Good morning, Mark. How's it going? I'm very good. How are you doing? Not too bad. Yeah, where do I find you this morning? Uh, we're in Halifax. Uh, we're actually here at Volta Labs. In downtown Halifax. I think uh, uh, Trevor and Derek, our Halifax reporters, are, are in the building there with you. That's where uh, they work as well. It's, it's a cool workspace. Yeah, totally. So uh, do you have an office there or do you have a membership? Yeah, we've been a resident uh, for uh, officially for over a year now. Before that, we were a cohort resident. So we were one of the uh, winners of the Volta cohort program that uh, gives you, you know, $25,000 in cash and then free office space for the year. And then we graduated into being a, a full-time resident. Excellent. Yeah. And it's a very, it's a very creative, uh, dynamic, uh, entrepreneurial place to work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So do you, uh, do you live in Halifax? Do you live in Dartmouth? Where, where are you, uh, where do you live? Yeah, I live in the North End, so I can I usually just walk to work. It's about fifteen minute walk, um, so really close by. And is it as nice in Halifax as it is, it is in St. John today? I'm not sure what it's like in St. John today, but it's really nice in Halifax today. Yeah, yeah. No, it 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 always makes uh, the day uh, get out, get started on the right track, uh, especially in the spring when the sun is shining. I know. Yeah, it feels good to winter for winter to finally be over. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, Joel, I'd love to, to start just by talking a little bit about your, your own personal background. Um, you know, where, where are you from, where you're from and, and what got you here? Uh, where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in a very small village called Amiro's Hill. It's a small Acadian village about 20 minutes from Yarmouth in uh, southwest Nova Scotia. And, uh, you know, I went to high school there and eventually... Uh, decided to go to St. Mary's University to take business. And and so ter- in terms of growing up, uh, uh, tell me a little bit about your family life. Like, what, what did your what did your parents do? Yeah, so my um, father mainly was a lobster fisherman. Uh, today, he now works for a lobster buyer. And my mom, basically, my entire life uh, worked at the Royal Bank, um, basically as a teller. And how many uh, siblings do you have? I have a younger brother who now lives in California, and uh, they just had a baby, so I'm a, a new uncle. Brand new uncle. Congratulations. Thank you. I, I uh, suspect you've been able to catch up by, by Zoom, at least. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of FaceTime, a lot of FaceTime with my brother for sure. Yeah. What's the baby's name? Uh, Hudson Charles Muse. Wow. I uh, I have two children myself now, but I, I is this your fir- the first time as an uncle? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's a good feeling, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I still have a, a special relationship with my nephew who's now 20, turning 22 this year because he, he was, you know, the first born in the, in the family and the first born in that greater family always has special status because it's, 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 I just remember what a cool experience it was to become an uncle. Right. Yeah. I'm looking forward for, don't want to jinx it, but the pandemic to be over and being able to finally go, go visit and, and meet him in person. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, I had the benefit of being able to, you know, uh, jump in the car and go to Charlottetown the day that he he was born. So, you know, mm. I can imagine what it's like, you know, you, this one thing to see him by video conference, but uh, you're going to you're going to want to go meet him in person. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about your childhood, because I know, uh, you know, in terms of your own personal story, um, you started to experience anxiety issues at a very young age. Can, can you tell me a little bit about what that experience was like for you and kind of how you processed it back then? Yeah. Um, I think the first kind of sign of anxiety would be that I had, I don't know how old I was specifically, probably like five, six, seven. I would have trouble like sleeping and I have these thoughts in my head that I didn't want to think about while I was going to bed. Um, and I guess eventually I grew out of that. Um, and then during high school, I know like I had a lot of like social anxiety, I had a lot of anxiety around, um, especially like oral presentations and, and presenting. Um, that was like a huge issue for me. Um, and then at the end of high school, I became very anxious and then very depressed. And I guess the the biggest problem with all of this was the fact that I wasn't telling anyone about it and I was very ashamed of it and tried to hide it. And the more I tried to hide it, the more kind of probably got worse. And I never really seeked any kind of help until it got really, really bad, uh, where I basically had to like hit rock bottom before I actually could work up the courage to tell the school counselor what was going on and then it was pretty obvious at that point that things have gotten really bad that it was time right away to like see a doctor about it. Right. And what did rock bottom look like for you? Like, like tell me a little bit about how you process that, those feelings and how was your, how, how was your, your mother and father around all that in terms of trying to help you through it? Did they, did they totally understand it when you were a really little boy? Uh, no, when it, when I was little, they definitely didn't. And I'm sure they just figured, you know, this is just some a phase or something. But looking back at it, I think knowing what we know now, it would have been great to, like, see a professional at that point because it was pretty bad. I, I mean, it was definitely bad for me. I don't know what it looked like on the outside. Um, and so... In terms of in terms of like when I was really young, um, and then when I was a teenager, I, I literally never told them about any of it, so they wouldn't have really known. Um, I hid it very well. Uh, 
after I told my school counselor, he kind of told me that I deserved an Oscar because of how well I was acting, considering how awful I was feeling at the time. Yeah. In terms of how you were feeling at the time, what, what was it? One event that said, "I've got to, I've got to like talk about this now to, to somebody," or how, how did that? What did that rock bottom look like? Yeah. So it was this strange situation where uh, it was a relationship with a girl that was developing and she broke up with her boyfriend uh, to kind of pursue me. And I think I, I had this massive sense of guilt about that. And then I had like a lot of anxiety about relationships and I kind of hit it. And what really happened was I kind of like it, I started getting a nervous stomach and having no appetite. And then um, one thing led to another where it just became worse and worse and worse. And I basically had a stomachache for four months straight um, and didn't tell anyone about it and started driving myself crazy about like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my stomach? And then that just, all that anxiety eventually led to more depressed symptoms where I had a hard time. Like I was in a really low mood all the time. I had a hard time concentrating. I wasn't present anymore. And at the end of it, it was like, I was getting really worried that I wasn't going to be able to focus enough to study for final exams. And so when you sought the help of the counselor, what, what kind of a path did that lead you on in terms of getting treatment? Yeah. So like I said, it was really, it was to the point where it was really bad and I needed help really quickly. So, um, my family doctor, because I was, I guess I was 18, but he didn't feel comfortable putting me on medication. Um, because I was still not an adult. So we made an appointment to a child psychiatrist and um, w w within two weeks, we I started uh, going on antidepressants. Um, obviously, unfortunately, in, in those situations, therapy is usually the, the first route that you would wanna take, but the wait times were just months long. So there wasn't any time to kind of get into that. And so what, what happened afterwards in terms of how you developed? Because you, you ended up, you know, going away to university in Halifax. Uh, how, how was that time at school from a mental health point of view? It was really interesting. Um, I think it was a combination of, first of all, the medication working, but then leaving the environment that I was in and coming into a new environment where I felt like I could really thrive. So I loved university the first four years. Well, not the first four years, but I mean, the four years I was in university, I still describe as like the best four years of my life. Um, so for me, it was a really great welcome change. Um, and I did really well in school and there's always people around. And the thing that can be really tough when you grow up in a small community is that, um, there's only a handful of people really. And so you either fit in or you don't fit in. But when you move into a larger um, kind of environment, you get to meet new people who have your perspectives and, and kind of find your tribe, I guess. So I think that was also super helpful. Now at school, what did you study? So I took a business and I majored in finance. Um, and so I was really interested in the stock market. So I, I really thrived uh, in learning that. And then I, I eventually pursued, um, 
a chartered financial analyst uh, designation as well. Tell me what inspired you to do that. Um, you know, you 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 grew up in a small town in Nova Scotia, and and your father is a lobster fisherman. Your mom works at the bank. Um, what um, what was it that set you on that course? I mean, I know we all go to to university, and something inspires us to take the degree that we take. Well, for you, what was that? Yeah, I mean, I I bet you I would answer this question differently if you'd asked me even five years ago, but. I think there's a big part of it was actually the money aspect. And, and that might be why I eventually left. <laughs> but at that point in time, I grew up in a household where I felt like we were poor all the time. And I think I wanted to pursue something that would that could potentially make a lot of money. But it, it was also very fun like to learn how businesses work. Uh, and how you can invest your money to make it grow. Um, so it was like challenging and creative in that sense too. And I was always, always really good at math as well. So um, I think a combination of all those things kind of um, made me super interested in. I was always interested in kind of like the news and politics too. So following kind of everything that's going on in the world and how it affects these businesses and therefore the stocks and the investments was always super interesting to me. Right. So after you graduated from, uh, you know, the undergraduate degree, so where, where does that take you next in terms of your training and then eventually uh, your work? Yeah. So it, this was in like 2008, 2009. So literally the worst time in a long time um, to try to find a finance job when, you know, Wall Street was falling apart. So for the first eight months, um, it was difficult. And I, I started day trading for this firm. Um, which really led nowhere. It was very difficult and, and, and uh, most people failed at it. Uh, but at the same time, I was still studying for my CFA. Um, and then eventually uh, I got a email from a mentor who was working at a company called CMARC, Asset Management here in Halifax. And they were looking to hire someone who was young and ambitious and so I, I interviewed and I kind of landed that job, which was pretty, pretty amazing at the time because all the advice I was getting was if you want to do one of these jobs, you basically need to move to Toronto and, and then come back after you've got like three or five years of experience. So I was a little bit more stubborn than that and uh, found, somehow found a way to get into that position. And so tell me what that what that job was like and how long you stayed with it. What, what did you learn in that work? Yeah, um, the job was definitely different than I thought it was going to be. And also I learned a lot about myself and what I value because I think I thought it was going to be kind of a bit more fast and exciting, but it was, it was, a, it was like a research equity job. So I was kind of like doing research on stocks and coming up with a buy-sell or hold recommendation. And that was a slower paced job that didn't have like immediate results and outcomes. Um, and so I, I think like for a lack of a better word, it was a lot more boring than I thought it was gonna be. And there wasn't a lot of kind of milestones or or incentives or projects being started and done. 
um, what I really appreciated with the university was every week there was like always a, a little project due on Thursday and then every semester there's an exam and, you know, there's these check-ins where you're working towards something, you're finishing it, completing it, getting the results back, getting that feedback and then starting for something else. There wasn't a lot of that at all uh, at my job. And I think eventually it just wore me down. And at some point during during this time, I mean, I know, you know, that university was a good experience for you and you you love living in Halifax. You met a lot of new friends. And it, it sounds like during that period, your own personal mental health was stronger. Um, it, but at some point, this started to change in, in your in your work life. Um, is that right? Yeah, pr- pro- probably work and personal. I mean, um, I guess things just became too routine and not a lot of things to look forward to. And I didn't feel appreciated in my work. And the company also wasn't doing very well. So we, it's not like we were like winning. We, we, we kept kind of like uh, basically like failing, it felt like. Um, and, and, and then me having not as much control in that kind of like was disincentivizing. Um, and so I was tired all the time. I had trouble concentrating again and I had all these physical manifestations of different kinds of symptoms, just like chronic pain, um, indigestion, um, irritable bowel syndrome, like a bunch of different kind of physical symptoms when, but mentally I didn't feel like I was depressed. Um, because there wasn't too much stress going on. I just felt kind of numb and, and, and like something was wrong, but I thought it was something physical. Uh, so I I saw tons of different specialists to try to kind of diagnose this and no one could ever come up with an answer. So did you hit another, uh, breaking point? What, what led you to actually end up leaving your job? Yeah. So what really happened was I'll go back a little bit. Because the first time around, I basically got put on medication and I tried to do therapy, but like the wait times were so long that by the time I saw someone, I had to move to Halifax. Then when I moved to Halifax, I started seeing someone and and that wasn't a really good match. So I, I never really did therapy for real. Like I never really went through a full kind of protocol with anyone. So I never really dealt with the things that I could have and probably should have dealt with. And therefore, I stayed on the medication and the medication kind of just did its job to keep me productive and keep me be able to like, you know, go on about my life, but without it feeling great, but um, without it feeling terrible either. So I was numb to, to, to all these different things and I was actually very numb to any kind of emotion. So I didn't have the kind of emotional compass to know that maybe I am miserable in my job or there are these other things in life that I want that I'm not pursuing. I just, I'm not aware of it. Um, So basically what happened was I I fired my family physician and found a new one because I'm like, this person is not helping me. It's been three years. He keeps sending me to different specialists for each individual symptom, but there's got to be something more comprehensive going on with me. And then by my second or third uh, kind of appointment with my new doctor, he was kind of like, Joel, like we've done all the blood tests. We've done all the tests. Like there's nothing physically wrong with you. 
but we do have a specialist on staff that specializes in kind of things you're going through. Would you like to see them? And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. And then he was like, well, it's a psychologist. And I was like, oh, interesting. Like, sure, I'll go see them. But like, I don't, I don't, I think there's something physically wrong with me. So uh, we get the appointments. And so I was, to. I, this is an important point. Like, I was really lucky. This was a, this is actually like the Dalhousie Family Clinic in Spryfield, where they take a very team comprehensive approach. And they had like a psychologist on staff. So this was outside the mental health system. So there was no wait time. It was literally like two weeks before I, I got to see her. And we had an hour and a half long session. It's like the, the kind of intake session. And uh, in the session, she kept asking me how I felt about different things and how I, and if I knew how I felt about them. So she would ask me a question like, how do you feel about this? And I would, I would be like, I don't know. She's like, really? You don't know? I'm like, no. Like, really? And I was like, okay, fine. Like, maybe I, I feel angry. And she'd be like, well, how do you know you feel angry? And I'm like, I don't know. Because <laughs> I'm supposed to feel angry about that? Like, I had no, I had no emotional intelligence at all. And I left that, I left that session being like, oh, <laughs> something's wrong here. Maybe this is part of the puzzle that I'm missing here. So where did that lead you next? Yeah, so it led me to talking about a lot of different things and slowly realizing a lot of different things. And then eventually, well, eventually, like I wasn't getting, I wasn't feeling better. I was actually feeling kind of the same or worse, but realizing that I couldn't do my job anymore. Like I was, I was, I would, Sometimes I describe like it would take me 15 minutes to read an email at work because um, I have to read it three times because I wasn't like absorbing the information because I had so much brain fog. Um, so eventually, like, I guess I realized what really happened was I was suffering from burnout. And um, the type of burnout that most people talk about is the type that you're working too long, you're not making time for yourself you're stressed out, your, your job's super stressful, and you just kind of are, you know, having both sides of the candle burning, and you run out of energy, and you kind of like burn out. Um, But the type of burnout that I suffer was kind of different. It was more about the slow going to a job that you don't really care about going through the motions, and it just like dragging you down slowly. And, and that's kind of what happened to me. And eventually I realized I had to leave and make a change and take some time for myself to kind of put myself together too. Now the, the change uh, eventually leads to, you know, founding tranquility. Um, not, not to rush that story too much, but how soon after uh, do you become inspired to, to start this company? Um. It took a while for me to recover, but it was definitely an idea I was, I was thinking about pretty, pretty soon after. And so, yeah, I was concentrating on just taking care of myself first and then working on the idea a little bit. And maybe eight months or a year later, I was finally ready to really like do it for real. Uh, so it took a while. So tell me how, how that came about in terms of the, you know, the, the spark for starting the company, uh, 
and and what your vision was in the beginning yeah so it all really started when and i was actually still at work when i did this but i wrote i kind of i was going through this process with my therapist and it was like bell let's talk day in 2016 probably and i kind of wrote this little short thing on facebook just saying you know hey like this is a little bit of my story a little little blurb like we need to talk about this and a friend reached out and asked me if i could explain a bit more about what i was going through and what i've gone through so i i went on this huge tangent and explained the whole story to him and i was really surprised by his response because he was like i felt like that too uh, i didn't know you felt like that and to me i was talking to someone who i thought had everything together so I was like, wow, if this person feels this way as well, there's probably tons of other people who feel this way. So I'm going to, if I can share it, if I can share it with him, I can share it with other people. And this might also help me like, let go of some of the shame I have around it as well. Like if everyone knows, then I don't need to hide it anymore type thing. So I started writing this long post on Facebook and then I realized this post is way too long. I'm going to have to host it on a blog or something. So I created a blog page. I wrote the whole thing and I posted it and it kind of went viral almost like there was 4,000 people who read it in the first 24 hours. I had like a hundred, like I had like a, almost a hundred people reach out to me about it. Um, and so that was kind of the spark because it was about my story, but it was also about how the public system was failing me and others. And then I, because of the response, I almost felt like, well, sounds like a lot of people agree with me and someone needs to do something about it. And to fix the public system would require me to be like elected or something. And I don't want to do that. So I'll take the entrepreneurial approach. And that's kind of where that idea came up. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the beginning is really that blog. Right. Now, taking that that jump is is big, right? Like you've you've uh, gone to university, um, you've you've worked for somebody, and and now you're going to take that leap into being an entrepreneur. Uh, it must have been a was it a scary leap? Yeah, um, very much so, and. As, as as it grows, it seems to continue, like the stress just keeps to, to get bigger. You kind of like, you, you, you're already, you finally get over the hump of like, okay, I've, I've gone over this step. I, I got this step down. And then you, you become more successful and you get bigger. And it's like, what's this step look like? And then that's stressful all over again. So you just got to keep putting one step. But like the first thing I, I did is a friend invited me to this thing at Dalhousie that was just about like learning how it's called the, the lean canvas works. Uh, and I showed up to it and they're like, yeah, we're going to teach you how to do this. And you teach you how to do that. And I was like, Oh, this sounds like a great program, but it was a pitch competition. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if I can like just do the program and not do the pitch competition because that's like super anxiety provoking for me. And then I was kind of like, Joel, that defeats the whole purpose. Like <laughs> just, join the program and do the pitch competition. If you're going to do this for real, just do it. So like literally that was almost like the first time that it was official that I was going to try this. Right. And I guess if you had social anxiety around speaking in front of people, the pitch was probably a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, 
And, and that's the thing. Um, I, I, that's the other kind of inspiration. I had used a cognitive behavioral therapy online tool uh, that helped me with my social anxiety a lot. So I, my whole idea was we should make, we can use, we can make it better in this way. And it could be for anxiety, depression, and even other disorders in the future. Right. Uh, so uh, talking uh, a little bit more about how the company evolves, um, you, you didn't do this, uh, start this alone. So who, who was your partner? Yeah. So um, basically I was like, okay, I know, I know how business works. I never done, I never done a startup yet, but I can be the business person, the CEO type person, but I'm not a psychologist. So I was trying to find like the expert, uh, you know, first locally and, and literally it took me a long time. It took me like six months to find the right person. Um, but that person was Dr. Alyssa Penser. And so she's a uh, instructor at Dalhousie and has over 10 years of experience at IWK and in private practice. Um, and when I first met her for coffee, I'm so glad that she decided to meet. She was like, this is a great idea. But like, I don't have time for this. And I was like, sure, I, I understand, but we're going to do this. So maybe you can just be an advisor and we can find a, a grad student to kind of be the, the more the co-founder. So uh, we did that and the, the student stayed on for about 18 months and helped a lot. But eventually, uh, you know, she was doing her full-time PhD and eventually it just became, I guess, clear that we needed someone who could spend a bit more time uh, with this. So we had to find another co-founder and Alyssa had seen in the last 18 months how things were progressing and things were becoming real. And so she kind of stepped up and said, Joel, you know what, like um, maybe myself and another friend can kind of take the student's place and we can keep going. And, sh and she said, like, Joel, like, I'll be the co-founder. So that's kind of how that progression happened. Right. So then uh, a big entrepreneurial leap for her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so tell me uh, in, in terms of what Tranquility, the product that you're, you know, developing and the product that exists. Uh, tell me a little bit about it. So what, what is it? Yeah. So um, when it comes to helping people with anxiety and depression and, and other disorders, the gold standard out there for the kind of modality of therapy is called cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT for short. And how it works, it, it really works by thinking about this triangle where there's kind of three different pieces to it. So we have our, our thoughts, we have our emotions, and we have our behaviors. And each one affects the other. So our, our thoughts affect how we feel and affects how we behave. And how we behave affects how we feel and, and how we think and, and all that kind of stuff. And I always say we can't just decide we want to feel better, but we can work on changing our thoughts and challenging them when they're irrational. And we can work on our behaviors. So doing the behaviors that make us help us feel better and, and doing the behaviors that stop us from feeling worse. So in CBT, we teach clients how to basically challenge and change their automatic thoughts and change their behavior so that they feel better. And because that type of modality is more kind of instructive and you're learning skills and you're practicing them, it does lend its what itself really well to be structured as like an online program. So the, 
you know, academia and clinical trials have shown that self-help CBT programs, whether it was back in the day with books or today with internet programs, are can be just as effective as as in-person therapy. And then there's a caveat of if people actually do it, that's the hard part. So what we've done is for Tranquility, you can sign up and you can do the program by yourself. It's about, you know, a nine to 12 week kind of process that we would suggest doing like one module a week. Um, But we also hire and train coaches to help our clients go through the program because it really helps to have that person who can keep you accountable, keep you motivated, uh, help you troubleshoot and talk through some of the issues you're going through. Um, So as as kind of like a, a brief summary, the whole idea is to make getting help affordable, timely, stigma free, personal and accessible no matter where you are. And we do that by having a program that has nine different modules that take about 30 minutes to read. And then as you go through them, they unlock these interactive tools that help you do the, do the homework. And then with, within all that, you also have your very own coach that you can either text in the app or meet within 30, minute, uh, 30 minutes a week over uh, a video or a audio call on your, on your computer or your phone. That's and it, it, I guess you're probably addressing some current problems, but current some longstanding ones, right? Around you know the price, the price of private in-person therapy, the accessibility, um, the stigma of taking those big steps. I guess to go into somebody's office uh, is that what are these the kinds of things that you're you're trying to address? Exactly. So because it's online and it's more scalable, uh, we can charge you know a lot less. Our goal is to actually make it eventually free for the user. So either, you know, funded by the province, like by the public system or by insurance or your employer can sign up for Tranquility and make it accessible to all of their employees. Um, So that's the affordable part. But like I said, at the moment, if that's not an option for you, you can still go on our website and sign up. And we do have a 50% off uh, promo code right now just because of the pandemic. We want to help as much people as possible. Um, so that's the affordable part. Um, and then, you know, the stigma part, uh, no one needs to know. You can sign up uh, and no one's going to see that you're doing this. One thing I didn't realize that it's been clients that told me this in terms of the stigma part is we always, you know, we hire coaches, not therapists. Um, and the studies have shown that coaches can do just as well as therapists in this kind of environment. But I keep hearing over and over again that one thing that people like that the fact that it's a coach is that it's it's less stigmatizing. It's it's a little bit more approachable. Um, it's more of a peer relationship almost than like a, an authority and yourself. So that's decreased the stigma too of of, uh, of uh, signing up. And then again. If you don't even want to talk to anyone, you can totally do it on your own without a coach. You can sign up for our self-help program. And then, yeah, accessibility, like in rural communities, sometimes there literally are no therapists there. So it's like an option that anyone can kind of sign up for. Um, And then we personalized it in several different ways. And you have your own coach, so that's personal to you. Um, And then the accessibility, it's also just very convenient, too. Like, you don't need to take an hour and a half out of your day 
to commute to see your therapist and you can schedule your times, you know, very like at night or in the daytime or even on weekends. So, um, yeah, we're kind of trying to make it as easy. It's basically to sum it up, make getting help as easy as possible. What's the, the, uh, professional training background of the coaches? Does it vary? Yes. Yeah, so we we call them paraprofessionals. So this has been used by other organizations around the world uh, for kind of online CBT. And so most of them are kind of, they come with maybe an undergrad in psychology or they've done a a, a diploma at a college that's mental health related or they've worked in like other helping uh, kind of professions. And then what they do is they go through our training protocol uh, and then our team of our senior coach and our two psychologists are helping to monitor and supervise them. So all our, all our calls are recorded for kind of, uh, re- not research, but for, uh, training purposes so that everything's kind of kept, uh, going smoothly. And in terms of the the growth of of the business, so when did you officially launch uh, as a service for clients? Because I suspect there was a development period here in yeah. terms of the the application and 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 your approach. Exactly. So we we launched in like a soft launch in November 2019. And so tell me a little bit about how how it's grown since then. In terms of uh, do you have a mix of kind of corporate clients, like people who who have hired the service for their employees? Um, versus individual like how has growth looked for you yeah we've done a lot of different things uh so it's a it's a real mix at the moment we're probably gonna be focusing uh very soon on a few different avenues but um there's some corporate clients uh there's people who sign up individually uh we're running a bunch of different pilots so we have one with a university we have one with a military military resource center uh, and one thing that's coming up actually that I definitely want to mention for anyone who's listening is we won or we partnered with researchers at Dalhousie and Univer- University of New Brunswick. And, and this was a pandemic related grant that we, that we won together. And so we're going to be recruiting, well, it's live now. We're recruiting, trying to recruit 240 parents who are suffering with anxiety or depression this is a, it's kind of like the question that's being asked with the research is how has anxiety and depression been elevated during a pandemic for parents and can an online cognitive behavioral therapy platform help them with their anxiety or depression? So people can sign up for free for that. Um, and I believe the the way to do that is to visit our website, www.tranquility.app-parents. And that will uh, allow you to, if you're a parent and if you're eligible, to use to sign up for Tranquility for free. What inspired you to want to uh, you know, bid for that, that, uh, that piece of work, that study? To be completely honest, that one is all uh, on Dr. Alyssa Panter, my uh, co-founder's uh, kind of, she's the one who gets to, to, uh, get congratulations on that one. It was, it was her and, and the, the professor at, at University of New Brunswick. Basically we saw a grant that was for mental health related and we were thinking about 
what kind of demographic would be really good to to help. And they came up with parents because of all the stress that parents have been having, you know, work from home, school at home and all that kind of stuff. Right. And, and part of the reason why I asked that question is obviously, you know, with, with a business like yours, um, you know, it's, it's online based, um, you launched it pre pandemic, uh, you know, but then you find yourself in a pandemic where therapy services aren't accessible, uh, in person, right. Um, yeah. adjustments are made and people are, you know, starting to see people talk on the phone, maybe see by video call, these evolutions are starting to happen in the culture. Um, and, but you're a company that developed your product as an online service and it, how has it accelerated your growth? So there's been like a, a, ma a massive amount of interest and uh, some very large players who are realizing that they need something like this. So um, we've had a lot of really great conversations with different types of organizations and we're kind of looking forward to um, hopefully be able to pursue those opportunities in the near future. So things are going to be very exciting here in the near future for tranquility. Right. Now, I know you, you know, you have a lot of experience yourself with this, having gone through this personally. Um, how, how, you know, through the people you've interacted with through your business, you know, through your own personal networks, how are people doing through the pandemic? Like, are, are you seeing different kinds of problems presented more pronounced? Like what are your, what are your coaches uh, having to, to deal with in terms of helping people through this? Yeah, it's been very difficult for a lot of people like, and because of what I do, a lot of people kind of open up to me too. So I've, I've seen, you know, just how many people are struggling. Um, and you know, the things are, are the typical things that we would think about most of the time, right? It's, um, the isolation was difficult, obviously, uh, we're lucky here in Atlantic Canada, but there's still a lot of stress. There's, um, what I've been surprised about to be, to talk about something I've been surprised about is, you know, we, we launched with the, our anxiety program and then we only launched with our depression program, um, probably in December. And there's been more people signing up for our depression program than for our anxiety program, which does actually, which does actually make sense because we were kind of expecting this. We we're expecting like, if we, if we want to talk about the pandemic and having two different phases, phase one, everyone's anxious about all the uncertainty, getting, getting the virus, your parents getting the virus, what this virus means. Uh, the economic and financial and work-related things and all the anxiety about all the uncertainty. Eventually, it's been over a year. We're now kind of used to this. But now it's about like all the things that have been taken away from us and how that's affecting us. And it's kind of like my story when at first it was all anxiety and then that just becomes exhausting and then it's depression, right? So uh, we've, I've been surprised at how many people are struggling with more of the depression side. Um, and I've also been very pleasantly surprised at looking at some of our outcome data and seeing how well Tranquility is working for those people. It, with the study with the parents, is it, it broad-based in its approach or is it anxiety, depression? Uh... It, it could be one or, yeah. So yeah. If, if you're anxious or if you're depressed, you can sign up for Tranquility. And we have, what we're, we actually have, what we ended up doing because we realized when we were building the depression program 
that um, 60% of people who have anxiety or depression have both. So it's comorbid. So we really created a comorbid program where if you sign up and you start down the anxiety route, eventually we can give you more depression things. And if you start down the depression route, eventually we, we can provide you with more anxiety related tools as well. So it's mo- it's kind of like it's moder- monitoring some of your outcome outcome scores. And also your coach could recognize this and say, you know what, like you sign up for anxiety, but some of these things you're talking about have to do with your mood. I think it'd be really helpful if we kind of gave you this new module that can help you with that. What's your relationship like with, um, you know, the therapy community generally and in, in-person care? Um, do you see this as being supplemental? Do you see this as being something that's interconnected with in-person care? Uh, how, how does that all look? Well, yeah, to be honest, the way we look at it is actually um, as us filling a gap within kind of a spectrum. So what we want to do is fit into, because the truth of the matter is, is this is not a one size fits all thing and nothing is. So it's kind of like, depending on uh, what the client wants and needs and is going through at the time, there could be different types of things. So people who have more severe problems are probably better off seeing a, you know, clinical psychologist. Um, but someone who is still kind of well enough to basically what we say is tranquilly from mild to moderate anxiety and depression. So it's, you know, and because of those reasons of it being accessible, more affordable, it's very convenient. And so people can kind of do that. So in the future, what we would love to see is if you're feeling a certain way, you go see your, your family doctor or you, you go see mental health. And they say, oh, like right now on the spectrum, you fall here and here your choices are, you know, A or B. And one of those choices could be tranquility because it fits really well into that philosophy of providing, it's called stepped care. And it's just like triaging someone and giving them the most accessible help that is effective at the time, depending on their severity. Right, so you would you be you be part of that spectrum of of care. Uh, what what's your relationship now with uh, with that system? Like, is it any, or are you operating totally independently? Uh, so we 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 kind of had a pilot project. Uh, it wasn't really a pilot project. So we had some funding to de- to help us develop our depression program, and now we're kind of pursuing. Um, what's what's great that's happening is the Atlantic provinces and other provinces around Canada are now looking into step care and really fully bringing that on as part of their philosophy. So we're hoping to be, you know, a big part of those conversations and hopefully being able to have the chance to kind of be a part of that. Right. Uh, you know, sort of absent the formalization of all that yet in terms of your relationship with that sector, um, how do people find you now? Uh, yeah, so I mean, you can just visit our website. So again, it's www.tranquility.app, so .app. Uh, and most of the information is there, and you can kind of sign up. Um, if someone's running a business and they want to support their their uh, their employees, same thing, go to the website. There's two different sections, one for individuals, one for organizations. Um, and obviously, you can reach out to me. So my email is joel at tranquility.app if you're listening to this podcast and you want any more information. 
Um, are, are you getting referrals right now from psychologists? Like, are you getting people saying, oh, I think this, this might work for you? Yeah, we, we're, we're, we're running a pilot uh, with a few family, op- uh, like family clinics where they're sending us some clients. Um, and uh, there are some other things in the work that we're hoping to kind of close soon. I appreciate your time, uh, Joel. You're very generous with your time. Uh, is there anything that I haven't raised that you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, usually I always end these conversations with, you know, it, it doesn't matter if if you're going to use tranquility or not. The, the one big message I always want to leave on is if you feel like you're struggling, the most important thing is to tell someone about it and to do something about it. So we need to get over the stigma of mental health being something that people might feel ashamed about. And a first step could be telling your loved one, telling your family, telling your family doctor or seeking a psychologist or, or, or anyone like that. Just like suffering in si- silence is kind of the one thing I, I don't want anyone to do. And with your coaches, is there, is there any uh, in-person uh, sessions or are they all, is it all video and phone? Yeah, no, our, our entire program is 100% virtual. Well, Joel, I, I, I want to close too by saying how much I appreciate uh, talking to you. Like, it's been very, very interesting and informative. I, but Ed, so how are you doing? Like, because obviously this has been, you know, was a long struggle for you. Where are you now in terms of your own, uh, your own mental health care? Yeah, I mean, so running a startup has been the most stressful thing I've ever taken on. Um, and so I, I, it's hard, it's stressful. Um, it's, it's good that I have other friends, founders that are going through the same thing to make me feel less alone and how difficult it can be. And I also have an amazing team that have supported me when I've been struggling. Um, so we kind of try to, you know, do this together. And I think one thing for sure is, this has made me a lot stronger. I've had to tackle a lot of different stressful things. And so going forward, um, you know, I'm just a lot stronger now than I was. All right. Well, thanks very much uh, for chatting with me. And I, again, I hope you get to see your, your, your nephew soon. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the latest episode of Huddle Home Office. Thanks, Joel, for the great chat. Huddle Home Office is produced by me, Mark Legere, and Sharice Letson. You can subscribe to the show on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend us to a friend. Talk to you next week.